So this morning, we're going to continue our study of the spiritual disciplines that we have been talking about. In our quest to be able to discover God's will for our lives as a community, together. Spiritual disciplines, we have noted, are a sacred path to deeper intimacy with God and a deeper understanding of his will on our lives. We talked about the disciplines of taking time to be alone with God in awe and in silence, of engaging scripture to nurture our soul and transform our life, of listening for God's voice and just simply spending time with him, of being together in self-examination and confession, and this morning, we're going to try to put them all together for our rule of life. So as you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 2, beginning at verse 42, and there we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Charles Guinness, in his book, The American Hour, suggests that our global culture is destroying Christians Christian discipleship and faith, and the church in general. As believers, we sometimes innately sense that that's the way things are going, but Guinness goes so far as to name 10 specific culprits that our world idolizes and pursues at the detriment of the Christian faith. They are information the world says, get information, inquire, 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 learn, 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 because the goal of life is to know because knowledge is power. Convenience. If it's not easy, if it takes too much time or too much effort, if it requires some sacrifice on my part, <laughs> we're not interested. Options. We want to be able to choose our pursuits from a cafeteria of options. And so we shop around, including spiritually. Time maximization. We multitask. We are running on overload. So don't ask us for too much time and don't ask us for too much effort and don't ask us for too deep of a commitment. We're not interested. Comfortable. If it doesn't make us feel good, yeah, we're not interested. We like things easy and simple and gratifying. We disdain some assembly required. 
independent. I am in charge of my own life. Don't you or anyone else tell me what to do. I am the master of my own fate. Entertaining. If it doesn't bring me considerable pleasure, hmm, I'm not wasting my time on it. Instant gratification. Life is short, so whatever it is, it has to bring me pleasure now, or I'm not doing it. Skepticism. Question everything. Question everyone. Resist authority. Trust no one completely. Trust nothing intrinsically. Or the last one, number 10, image. Will my doing it or believing it enhance my image? Will it make me look better among other people? Will people like me more? Will I get more likes for doing that? In the past, life was predominantly about community. Today, it's all about me. I want it my way. I want it now. And I'm entitled to have it the way I want it. Once it was about respecting authority. Now it's all about challenging authority. Once it was all about the truth, capital T, but today it's all about my truth and what works for me. It was once about character. Now it's all about correctness. And Guinness says, sadly, the real issue isn't even about these forces. It's about the meltdown of Christian behavior. North American Christians are virtually indistinguishable from the rest of the world. Bad news is, the church, capital C, is facing an alarming spiritual crisis. The good news, if, it, if you will, is that the church has faced such crises before. And the really good news is, is that Christ's spirit is here to assist us. In previous moments of cultural crisis and compromise, the response has always been the emergence of a monastic movement. For example, when the Romans came in and took over Palestine, and when the Sadducees and the Hellenists became more secular in their faith, people decided to run into the desert to join the likes of John the Baptist or those who were in the community of Qumran. For example, during the Roman Empire, when the church became increasingly worldly, Thousands and thousands fled to the desert to cultivate alternative communities, to be able to cleanse themselves, to pursue God, and to try to save the church and the world. For example, during the disastrous crusades, alternative communities began to spring up like St. Assisi, St. Francis of Assisi's, who formed to counteract the Crusades and to bring the gospel to the poor.
Eventually, each one of those communities established a pattern to ensure that their life together would remain focused on God's mission and on members of the community becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Today, there is an emerging hunger and thirst for God. But sadly, we don't have the option of just simply running into the desert. But communities continue to exist and to form around those who are absolutely serious about their spiritual life. La Brie, International Houses of Prayer, Monasteries, the Center for Action and Contemplation, Renovari, Transforming Community, Deeper Journey, and the church. When we first started this series a few months ago, we asked the question, what is your deepest desire? What is your ultimate pearl of great price? What or who would you be willing to transform your life for? We mentioned last Sunday, imagine that you and I are building or rebuilding or remodeling our own spiritual house, our own soul. And if we were to imagine the land on which we're building this house, the neighborhood as community, spiritual transformation and growth take place in community. If the foundation was silence and solitude, we need to slow down. We need to be still, the scripture says, in order that we can hear God speak and tell us what's on his heart. And if the framework were the scripture, the walls that define and hold up the house, and the roof was prayer that would protect the whole house, and regular examination would be the insulation that would help keep sin out and keep holiness in. Our deepest desire, our heart's longing would be the furnishings. The pictures on the wall, the clothes in our closet, and the people with whom we live, all the things that make a house our home. The only remaining question is, how serious are we about actually moving in and staying? Understand moving into this new house that is, stepping into our true self, becoming the person that God has called and redeemed us to be, is in a new neighborhood and will change everything in our life. So how serious, how willing are we to rearrange our entire life, to grow in intimacy with Jesus, to practice his presence, to obey his teaching, to become one of his disciples to engage in his mission. Deepening our walk with Jesus requires more than just an intellectual ascent. Some of you may have heard the story of the three frogs. There are three frogs sitting on a log. Two of the three frogs decide to jump into the water. How many frogs are there on the log? And the answer is, Three, the two only decided to jump. They didn't actually jump. They made a decision 
but they never followed through. And sadly, that happens frequently. There are many well-informed Christians. There are sadly very few transformed disciples. Unless we are actually willing to rearrange our life for him, unless we're willing to actually move into the house that we have been building and it's just simply lip service. It doesn't change anything. We need a conscious, intentional, well-thought-out action plan and the discipline that is the courage and the fortitude and the perseverance to follow through on it. Or we will still be sitting comfortably on the log for years and years to come. Companies have business plans. Churches have strategic plans. We individuals are constantly encouraged and reminded to have a financial plan. But do we have a spiritual plan? We all have great intentions, but intentions change little or nothing. Resisting the influence of the evil one, resisting the movements of our culture, resisting the pressures and the temptations of daily life require a well-discerned plan of intentionality, of practices, of persistence and accountability that keeps us close walking with the Lord. William Purcell writes, and I quote, athletes, musicians, writers, scientists, and others progress in their fields because they are a well-disciplined people. Unfortunately, there is a tendency to think that in matters of faith, we can pray and meditate or engage in other spiritual disciplines only when we feel like it. So how do we rearrange our life for what our heart most deeply desires? And the answer is, with an intentional rhythm, with a well-thought-out pattern, with a well-defined set of habits, with what is known as a rule of life. The word rule in the phrase rule of life comes from the Greek word for trellis or lattice work. And there are some pictures you can see what that looks like. You see, certain kinds of plants need support in order to grow properly. Tomatoes often need stakes. Some beans must be attached to suspended strings. Creeping vines like Cementus and Wisteria will grow on any structure they can find. Rambling roses take kindly to garden walls and archways and trellises. Without proper support, all these plants will collapse into a heap on the ground. Blossoms will not have the space or the sun they need to flourish. The fruit would remain on the ground and rot. We would miss their beauty and their sustenance. Branches of grapevines, common in Galilee in Jesus' day, required support or the vine would remain weak and the grapes would be small and few. Trellises come in all shapes and in all sizes. They come simple and complex. They come costly and very inexpensive. But like these plants, you and I need a support 
the encouragement, the plan, or our spirituality will grow in confusing ways. Our fruit will get all tangled. It will be susceptible to corruption and will diminish the beauty and the joy of following Jesus. King David had a rule of life. It's found in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord. This is what my life is all about, David said. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That became his rule of life. After Pentecost, the church, the early church, developed a rule of life, a trellis that they rallied around. It's spelled out in the passage we just read in Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves. There we are, the deepest desire of this early community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to Scripture. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to community. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, to worship. They developed, devoted themselves fully to prayer. And they did it. And they did it over and over and over again. And they did it intentionally. They did it on purpose. It became their rhythm. It became their plan, if you will. It was their priority. It was their identity. It was their rule of life. <coughs> Acts 3 begins with Peter and John going to the temple. You see, Jesus went to the temple to pray. So his disciples went to the temple to pray, like mentor, like disciples. They followed Jesus, their master's rhythm, even after their master was gone. Jesus was their leader. He was their Lord. He was their model. And so Jesus' rule of life became their rule of life. It became the disciples' rule of life. Jesus had invited them to take his rule, and they did. It's called his yoke. Take my yoke, take my rule of life, Jesus says, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, for my burden is light. Jesus' rule of life was never about being comfortable or having it convenient or being in personal control, but it wasn't that complicated. It wasn't about getting into heaven. It was about loving Jesus. It was about being more like Jesus. It was about being fully devoted to Jesus. It was about following Jesus in his footsteps. When new Christians came into the early church, they needed to be taught. They didn't know what it was all about. And so church leaders developed what you and I know today as catechisms. And that was to teach them what they needed to know about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And they went over it and over it and over it and over it until the new believers knew it and could recite it and could share it. But over the centuries... Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox communities also began to recognize the importance of training people to live like Jesus. Just knowing, just having the information wasn't enough. And so they devoted what we're talking about this morning, rules of life to train believers through spiritual practices until they were so thoroughly ingrained in how they lived 
that they would be disciples of Jesus. St. Benedict's rule of life is probably the most well-known. And one of his rules is, and I quote, your way of acting should be different than the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. You see, these practices for ordering one's life are not a set of laws that need to be followed. They're a set of what are known as regulations that they practiced. The word rule from the Latin regula means what they did regularly, what they did out of habit, what their routine was, what they practiced, what they did over and over and over again. Those are the kinds of things that started to regulate, to rule their life. So the rule sets the rhythm for arranging our day, our week, our month, our year, in ways that are intentional, in ways that are conscious and connect us with God. The rule helps establish boundaries and priorities. It provides an avenue for growth in character, in attitude, in devotion, and in maturity. It's designed to help us become more and more like Jesus. So Paul will write, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, the truth is, every one of us has a spiritual rhythm. It's either intentional or it's unintentional. We're either conscious of it or we're not conscious of it. The sad truth is, most people have an unintentional pattern. They have a pattern they're not conscious of. They just go through the motions. They go with the flow. They're simply floating along. And at the same time, they're being constantly bombarded by the culture in which we live. Their unconscious spiritual rhythm is seldom helpful and often harmful. Others have intentionally developed a pattern of spiritual practices. These practices form their trellis. A supportive rhythm to one's spiritual growth and one's relationship with Jesus. And the practice, as we know, brings improvement. Practice doesn't necessarily make perfect, but it makes it better. Having an intentional practice schedule is invaluable, even in our spiritual lives. So allow me for just a moment this morning to share my personal rule of life. It's been developed and I've been tweaking it for the last four decades because of changes in my lifestyle, changes in my growth, changes in circumstances. And I share it with you only as an example. So daily, I have this little book. It's called A Guide to Prayer for Ministers and Other Servants. And it takes me into the scripture, takes me into the liturgical year, takes me into prayer, And it takes me into the thoughts of some of the spiritual fathers and mothers from a couple of thousand years ago. I also have been using lately an app in the evening called Lectio 365 for my evening devotions and for my examine every single day. Weekly, I worship on Sunday 
It's good to be here with you this morning. For decades, I looked at Tuesday as my Sabbath, but over the years, it has been moved over to Friday for the most part. I've participated in a men's morning Bible study or a small group Bible study for most of the years of my life. Monthly, I see a spiritual director. Bi-monthly, my deeper journey small group meets for a couple of hours together. Quarterly, I take a 42-hour spiritual retreat. I've been doing that for over 15 years. And annually, I've spent a week of service just designated on the calendar for over 20 years. Marilyn and I volunteered with the Young Calvinist Federation or Youth Unlimited Conventions. And for the last 25 years, I've served on the National Prayer Committee and the Denominational Prayer Ministers, Prayer Leaders Network. But my rule of life has provided for me an intentional rhythm that keeps me practicing the presence of God. It's a reminder throughout my day and my week and my month and my year that this is not about me. It's about him. It's all about God. My rule of life includes the spiritual practices of community, silence and solitude, of scripture and prayer, of Sabbath and self-examination, of service and worship. And yours is, you begin to put it together or become conscious of it or intentional about it. May perhaps look a lot different, and that's just fine. You see, Jesus calls his followers to intentionally rearrange their lives so that he's the center of it. So that they can be spiritually transformed into new creatures. That they can develop a well-ordered heart attain their deepest desire and intensely practice being more and more like him. William Purcell continues to write, he says, it's very unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. There will, need, there will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganization in our own lives. But there is nothing that will enrich our life more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of our daily living. So it seems to me that if someone were to ask you, what are the practices of your life that keep you closer to Jesus Christ and focused on God throughout your day or throughout your week? That as a follower of Jesus, we ought to be able to give an answer. The answer doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be extensive. In fact, it ought to be simple because the simpler it is, the easier it is to practice. And the more regularity with which we practice it, the more transforming it is going to be. But we should all be able to answer that question. So I'm encouraging you this week to consciously take a look at your plan. How are you becoming more and more like Jesus? Do you have a plan? So I'm encouraging you to write it out. What is your rule of life? What do you do over and over and over again to invite Jesus to touch your heart and your life and your soul? What are you doing to become more and more like him? Writing it out is a significant step in our spiritual formation and life. Here's a process. First, simply spend some time listening silently to God. 
that in my estimation is the single most important step. It involves listening to your heart and to your deepest desire. It means asking yourself, do I really want to arrange my heart and my life to be more like Jesus? What needs to change if that's really to happen in my life? It involves listening to your experience. What are those occasions? What are those practices? What are those circumstances where you have felt closer and closer to Jesus? Let's put some of those in our rule of life. If you practice some of the disciplines that we've talked about over the last few weeks, which ones of those resonate? Which one of those bring encouragement? Which one of those deepen your relationship? It also involves listening to what others know about you. Maybe they have some suggestions or some encouragement. Second is to select a written pattern. What disciplines are you going to do each day and each week and each month and maybe quarterly and yearly that nurture your heart and your soul? Other people take a look at the great commandment and they say, what is it that nourishes my heart and what is it that nourishes my soul and what is it that nourishes my strength and what is it that facilitates my love for my neighbor what are those practices others may go and look at the church's rule of life here in acts 2 and say so how do i engage in the scripture so how do i engage in community so how do i engage in worship or how do i engage in prayer Build your trellis. Third, fill your trellis. Choose the disciplines. Plant some flowers that you have that you have found fruitful. There are lots of disciplines to choose from. Being in community and retreating and silence and solitude and contemplative and or listening prayer and scripture reading and Lectio Divina and scripture memorization and Sabbath and self-examination and confession and worship and fasting and examines and simplicity and service and the list is almost endless. Fourth, reflect on it. Practice it. Is it helping? Is it deepening my relationship? Am I becoming more and more like Jesus? Ask yourself, is it personal? Does it reflect my personality and my passions and my needs and my priorities? So, for example, a more spontaneous person would seek a less confining rhythm. A more structured person would want a more detailed plan. A person struggling with gossip might want to engage more in silence. And if we tend to be a workaholic, maybe we should be taking Sabbath seriously. Is it ruthlessly practical? Is it attainable? A couple with young children will require a different rhythm than those of empty nesters. Our expectations need to deal with what's real and can't be changed, or we simply set ourselves up for failure. Is it balanced? Is it comforting and stretching? Is it contemplative and missional? Is it private and corporate? Does it focus on the journey inward as well as the journey outward? If we only choose disciplines that are easy, we'll cultivate a one-sided, comfortable spirituality. We'll minimize any transformation. On the other hand, if we only choose those practices that are very, very challenging, we probably won't do them very often. Is it flexible? Can it be adapted to changing circumstances? 
Can I do it on vacation as well as when I'm at home? Is it helpful during normal and busy days? Remember, we're not saved by works. We're not saved by keeping rules. We're saved by grace. Is it simple? Is it clear? Is it easy to remember? Can you explain it to your children? Can you explain it to an elder? Could you explain it to a coworker? If it feels heavy and burdensome, it's not right. Because Jesus said his yoke, his rule of life is easy. And then fifth, practice it. Obviously, keeping the rhythm is the most important. Just do it. And then do it again. And do it again and again and again. Pause periodically and notice how God might be using your rule of life to draw him closer to you and you closer to him. Make any necessary adjustments adjustments as you go. Remember the blessings of being with God only come when we're with God. Keeping the rule will not change us instantly, but keeping a regular rhythm will have dramatic results over time. Imagine. Imagine waking up in Jesus' name. Imagine driving in Jesus' name and how you treat the one who just cut you off differently. Imagine taking out the garbage cleaning up the garage, spending all of your money, mowing the lawn, washing dishes, washing the car, shopping, or doing your job in Jesus' name. Keep your rule out of your love for Jesus and your longing to be more and more like him rather than out of a sense of duty or obligation. She sat in the chair across from her spiritual director and grieved. I'm so easily distracted. My mind buzzes with noise. I simply can't pray. Please help me, she asked. Her director nodded slowly and smiled and said, It will pass. Keep practicing. A week later, she came back and sat across from her spiritual director again, this time sliding slightly lower in her chair. She stared at the empty table in the corner. Nothing works. I sit in silence. I journal. I read the scriptures. Still, my mind is way too noisy. I can't pray. Please help me. Her director nodded at her slowly and smiled and said, It will pass. Keep practicing. Many weeks went by during which the woman didn't see her spiritual director. Until one day she came bounding into her room and sat down beaming. You were right. I kept practicing. I sat in silence. I journaled. I read the scriptures. And eventually the busyness of my mind settled like dust. And I could pray. I can pray. Her director rose, set his hand, set her hand on the woman's shoulder and smiled and said, it will pass. Keep practicing. 
If you really love Jesus with all of your heart, it's time to get off the log. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the ongoing, continual invitation to spend time in your presence. Follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Of the privilege of becoming more and more like him because of your spirit's presence in our life. So Father, we can't do the transformation. That's you. We can just simply prepare the field. Open our heart. Keep our mind attuned. And be ready because you will come, because you have promised. Come into our heart, Lord Jesus. Come into our heart to stay. In Jesus' name, amen.